0: Thank you for listening to the iCritical Critical Care podcasts with your new host, Michael S. Weinstein, M.D., F.A.C.S., F.C.C.P. For copyright and disclosure information, please listen to the notice at the end of this podcast.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Critical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Weinstein. Today, we will be speaking with Kenneth Christopher, M.D lead author of an article published in the May 2012 Critical Care Medicine titled Relationship Between Neighborhood Poverty Rate and Bloodstream Infections in the Critically Ill. Christopher is co-director of the ICU Nephrology Service and associate physician at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. He is also an instructor at the Harvard Medical School. Thank you for being here, Dr. Christopher. Well, Dr. Christopher, I've myself had a long standing interest in the care of the underserved and marginalized populations. So I was really quite enthused to see your publication in our critical care journal. It's not quite the mainstream type of publication one would see in a critical care journal. I thought we'd take a step back, though, and begin uh, with some of your background and perhaps you can tell us a little bit about yourself. One unique aspect that I find is that you uh, are trained in both uh, nephrology and critical care and sounds like you have a unique opportunity given your uh, varied backgrounds there at uh, the Brigham.
2: Sure, I um, trained at Brown and internal medicine and then I stayed on into the year of uh, critical care and then I came up to the uh, Brigham and Mass General nephrology program and did three years of basic science and then did my year of uh, clinical nephrology and at that time while I was finishing clinical nephrology the Brigham had started a, a critical care nephrology or ICU nephrology service which played to my particular strengths because that was a consult service that saw patients only in the care units, uh, medical and surgical and so I found that service to be quite helpful in terms of uh, forwarding my particular research interests and also my uh, uh, my clinical interests has helped me develop a particular niche where I consider myself to be pretty good at being a practitioner in between the two fields.
1: That's great. As we were talking earlier, I know of none. It sounds like you know of perhaps one other person trained in both nephrology and critical care and practicing in that manner. So it's, uh, yeah, quite a unique opportunity.
2: It is unusual, although I can tell you that I do have quite a few uh, resident trainees who who have expressed interest in combining critical care with other fields, including nephrology. And so I think that going forward, there's a particular interest in having something that maybe someone else doesn't have in terms of training in the background.
1: Back to your publication, you note in your paper that the literature regarding disparities in critically ill patients and especially marginalized populations is quite limited. Perhaps you can give us some insight into your catalyst for studying this population and its relevance to the critical care community and practitioners. Sure. When
2: I was in high school, I attended a special high school for students who were interested in medicine, and that particular high school was in a, a pretty rough neighborhood, and I was exposed for the first time to uh, the poverty cycle, where I saw students in high school who had to deal with issues of poverty in terms of teen pregnancy, in terms of difficult uh, family situations, etc. And it left a big mark upon me growing up and and wanting to wanting to pursue medicine, wanting to care for. where I was encouraged to combine uh, data sets that I had generated with other data sets that I hadn't thought about using before. And so myself with a few colleagues who were very interested in economics started thinking about whether or not poverty could influence outcomes in critical care, similarly to how poverty had influenced outcomes in, uh, in patients who were inpatients or in outpatient types of settings. And so we looked at uh, poverty in terms of mortality uh, at, in a study in 2011, a large database of about 40,000 patients, and found that by linking the United States census data with an ICU uh, cohort that I had uh, created over the past uh, few years, um, we did not find a uh, difference in mortality, and that was surprising to all of us, uh, including the reviewers, in terms of why this was. So, Malika Mendu and Sam Zager and I decided to push the envelope a little further and look at uh, other outcomes in terms of uh, ICU care. So, what we did was we looked at blood cultures that were obtained the 48 hours prior to the 48 hours after critical care initiation. In that particular window, we were looking for bloodstream infections that would be temporarily related to critical care admission and perhaps be quite serious and maybe be reason for the admission, and what we wanted to find out was we wanted to understand whether or not a patient's uh, neighborhood, in terms of the poverty of the neighborhood, had any uh, indirect or direct effect on that particular patient's outcome in terms of bloodstream infection. There had been some literature looking at psychoimmunology that uh, proposed and had some evidence for uh, blunting of the innate immune system uh, in response to stress. So investigating this further, we realized that patients who were in high uh, poverty areas, in terms of high high neighborhood poverty areas, um, had uh, uh, lives that were much, much more stressful in terms of the day-to-day stresses um, than uh, patients who ha- were in uh, areas that had very low neighborhood poverty. So what we did was we compared those patients who Lived in high neighborhood poverty areas to those who lived in low neighborhood poverty areas, and looking specifically for bloodstream infections that occurred very near the start of uh, critical care initiation, and we were uh, surprised to find that patients who had high neighborhood poverty, those with low socioeconomic status um, or presumed low economic socioeconomic status, had uh, a significantly uh, higher uh, risk of bloodstream infection in around critical care admission. And so the genesis of the project probably came from my experience uh, uh, growing up and going to this particular high school that exposed me to, uh, you know, fellow students who live in high-poverty areas, and then uh, translating that into my experience on the IC nephrology service, where we see patients who have who have very poor outcomes in terms of organ failure, etc. cetera, very, very sick patient populations, and combining those particular interests and um, uh, with some experience with the School of Public Health, exploring different data sets from the U.S. Census, uh,
1: et cetera. Great. It's a very interesting area of study. It sounds as though, from uh, your paper, within Partners Health System, you have a tremendous resource known as the Research Patient Data Registry. Could you briefly describe the RPDR and the methods uh, that you used in this study?
2: RPDR, the Research Patient Data Registry, is a centralized data warehouse that uh, gathers data from uh, the hospitals uh, that are associated with Partners Healthcare. Um, The two hospitals that we um, use data from, Mass General and the Brigham, are both uh, Partners uh, institutions. And essentially what the RPDR is, it, it, it takes data from electronic data systems. So any electronic piece of data is stored in the centralized data warehouse. And this data can be accessed by faculty uh, partners um, who have IRB approval to access the data. Um, The data uses a, or the investigators use a query tool uh, to find out um, how many types of patients exist. I wanted to find out how many patients had a bill for critical care. That's where I started building my uh, ICU. Data set looking at those types of uh, particular uh, charges or codes, etc. And then um, we go through what's called a data acquisition engine. And uh, what we do is we select a particular patient, particular patient types, and then we ask for the particular data, like creatinine or um, hematocrit or ICD-9 codes. It allows that goes back approximately thirteen years now. Um, the data set that I studied was from nineteen ninety seven to two thousand and seven. So it was a ten year data set. Prior to nineteen ninety seven the data granularity is less robust because fewer computerized systems were in existence at that particular time. However, we found that um, the data after nineteen ninety seven uh, to the present uh was of particularly high quality. Um, so what what this particular resource does is that it allows you to, number one, explore a particular clinical problem in a way that you may not be able to study otherwise, simply because you have a fairly rare outcome, um, such as blood culture positivity, even an enormous sample um, size to be able to detect a clinical difference. So when I'm doing studies at this is relatively rare, you need you know large number of patients to be able to have the power to predict or to, the power to determine whether or not a clinically relevant outcome actually exists. And so when I when I present um, these studies that have come from the RPDR, um, it's on uh, patient uh, sizes or uh, cohort sizes that are large enough to be able to say that yes or no, this outcome is truly associated because all these studies are observational or retrospective, but it allows one to make insights On the bloodstream infection, and so I was able to use logistic regression analysis in terms of uh, determining uh, the odds for blood culture positivity uh, relevant to many different um, covariates or many different variables that were thought to associate potentially or confound the bloodstream infection <laughs> poverty uh, relationship. And so, I used those particular methods to um, analyze the data in that fashion um for several reasons but mostly because i had a large number of covariates that were potential founders and also uh, i had 100 percent follow-up in terms of all of the blood culture uh positive or negative reports were present
1: well i am really envious it sounds like a tremendous resource in the rpdr certainly wish we had such a registry uh, at my institution moving on your findings suggest uh differences in the risk of bloodstream infection based on socioeconomic factors. I'd really love for you to uh, elaborate on your findings and their implications uh, for we as critical care practitioners.
2: Yeah, so um, it's interesting to think about because the issue is um, from what we found, we believe that this neighborhood poverty is a pre-hospital effect in that um, these particular patients that we studied, um, they had access to care. They were in the intensive care unit. They had access to very high level care. The question is whether or not they had access to care pre-hospital, and that of course is, is debatable. The patient population that I studied able to comment on in this particular uh, data set whether or not the universal health care um, may or may not have uh, changed um, our particular observations. That may be an interesting study to be done uh, several years down the road. Um, in terms of uh, how this uh, may affect uh, critical care practitioners, we have seen a steady decline in bloodstream infections um, over time. And we, we showed that in this particular paper as well in terms of, uh, the, uh, percentage of positive bloodstream infections did decline over the, over the study period. Uh, but perhaps this particular socioeconomic factor, uh, has not been addressed in terms of, uh, in terms of, um, uh, bloodstream infection prevention. Um, it's hard to know because when I see a patient in the ICU, I have no concept of what their uh, background is in terms of socioeconomic. There's nothing on our charts that tells me which insurance patients have. And so it can be difficult to, to extrapolate our particular findings in terms of socioeconomic status, in terms of uh, having a patient at, at higher risk uh, for bloodstream infection. However, I think that if it is known that the patient is coming from a particular area that is, is either known to have... Most socioeconomic status, knowing that that particular patient may be at a higher risk for a bloodstream infection because of potential stressors that may blunt the immune system, may uh, provide us with another tool in terms of recognizing particular patients that are at higher risk.
1: So, I suppose in, in some regards, this is more applicable from a public health standpoint in uh, looking for areas that we can improve pre hospital. And socioeconomic factors. Uh, you mentioned the uh, Massachusetts Healthcare. It sounds like it might be an interesting study to repeat uh, with that implementation. Uh, are there other factors, uh, perhaps, that you think might be modifiable to mitigate the risk of critical illness in, in impoverished areas?
2: Well, it's interesting because um, it may be that uh, patients who are from impoverished areas um, uh, have, uh, maybe that they have more severe illness. But it may also be that they they receive uh, critical care at a a particularly lower threshold. It's difficult to tease out in terms of uh, what it is about patients who come from particular neighborhoods of uh, low socioeconomic uh, areas in terms of what is the reason and what are the factors, and are those factors even modifiable if we have universal health care Relevant to the actual outcome itself. In terms of how to how to solve this, um, I think that that's a very difficult question. There is an effort in terms of trying to increase um, or trying to have health insurance for all, so that conceivably access to healthcare may improve. And it'll be interesting to see if access to healthcare um, will or will not um, change particular findings. Um, I think that even with access to healthcare, you still will have. A large amount of, uh, of stress and a large amount of difficulty in the day to day lives of those particular patients who, who, who are living in neighborhoods with low socioeconomic status. So it may be that even with improved healthcare access, we may still be seeing the same findings.
1: Very interesting discussion, and all politics uh, aside, it is uh, very interesting that we are having uh, this discussion around the same time that the Supreme Court is uh, hearing the case for and against the individual mandate and uh, the rest of health care reform.
2: It is very very interesting, very apropos.
1: Well, I thought perhaps we could uh, wrap this up with a broader discussion. You spoke earlier uh, about the impact of stress on the immune system and uh, this uh, study of uh, psychoimmunology, if you will. I wonder if you could talk a bit about the implications uh, of uh, stress of socioeconomic status on the immune system and uh, an individual's response to critical illness. So,
2: it's an interesting question. There, There is data uh, that has been uh, published in terms of uh, residents of uh, urban areas with high neighborhood poverty, um, being prone to uh, respiratory infections, uh, tuberculosis, the common cold, uh, etc. cetera. Um, and so in, in some ways, there's a precedence for infection in this particular environment. Um, viral infections, people have looked at this uh, uh, in terms of the 84 CD8 cell ratio, natural killer cells. Um, mononuclear cells in patients who either are under chronic stress or under acute stress. And so there there seems to be at least some recognition of a uh, combination or of an effect of stress and immunology, whether that has anything to do with our particular um, observation in terms of bloodstream infection positivity or bloodstream infection risk, is up for discussion in terms of why, why we see different outcomes, um, why we don't see a change in mortality, but we do see a change in uh, bloodstream infections. It may be that there is potentially a change in these patient mortality, but we may have, in terms of our uh, mortality study uh, published in Chest in 2011, we looked at outcomes out, out to one year. And it may be that those outcomes aren't long enough, and we have to look uh, to three years to actually see a mortality difference if there is a post-hospital effect in terms of mortality uh, to critical care. One would assume that if your uh, incidence or likelihood of bloodstream infections is higher, if you have uh, higher neighborhood poverty, then your mortality should be higher as well. It's a little bit complicated because those patients in our data set who have high neighborhood poverty tend to be fairly young. And so, uh, adjusting for all the ages and, and chronic illness effects um, that are associated with neighborhood poverty, we find no difference in mortality at one year, but we find a difference in blood infection that is happening very, very close to critical care initiation. So we're talking about things that are very different in terms of the temporal relationship. Uh, in terms of the bloodstream infection that happens. We're talking about mortality that we measured at 30 days, and 90 days, and three days, five days. If I measured mortality at three years, I may start to see a neighborhood effect in terms of overall mortality outcomes, but then you could argue that that has very little to do temporally with the exposure. So I think that those effects are, are fairly um, uh, complicated if you make the uh, conclusion that every patient who comes from a low socioeconomic background will have a bloodstream infection, and those patients have a higher mortality, that, that seems to be a little bit too strong of a conclusion because we're talking about a relative uh, or increase in odds of, of bloodstream infection. It's not that every patient with high neighborhood poverty will have a bloodstream infection. And so, in terms of extrapolating the data, it's it's a, it's a little bit. Difficult to say, well, poor patients have a higher bloodstream infection risk, but they don't have a higher mortality. I would venture to guess that those particular patients who have bloodstream infection, they do have higher mortality than
1: those who don't. Certainly a very interesting and somewhat different topic for us in critical care. We certainly look forward to hearing more from you and wish you much success in your future studies. Thank you very
2: much, and I appreciate very much you having me on your program.
1: Thank you. We've been speaking today with Dr. Kenneth Christopher, lead author of an article published in May 2012, Critical Care Medicine, titled Relationship Between Neighborhood Poverty, Rate, and Bloodstream Infections in the Critically Ill. This concludes another edition of the I Critical Care podcast. I hope you've enjoyed listening. I'm Dr. Michael Weinstein.
0: Michael S. Weinstein, MD, FACS, FCCP, serves as an associate editor for the iCritical Care podcasts. Dr. Weinstein is associate professor of surgery at Jefferson Medical College in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He is director of the surgical ICU and executive medical co director of the Thomas Jefferson University Hospital Programs for Critical Care. His clinical and academic interests relate to palliative care integration, medical ethics diaphragmatic pacing, and spinal cord injury. The Critical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members.